Hey, Cornerstone. Man. Glad you're here today. I think most of you have probably have heard either on the internet or somewhere else. That we're just, we're just going to have a really, really critical talk uh, today about racism and prejudice. And uh, for those of you who didn't hear, uh, we're, we're supposed to be landing the end of a series called Sidekicks. And here's the deal. Uh, David followed Saul. Even when Saul was a bad leader, he learned a lot of life lessons. That's the sermon you were going to get today. Okay? So you didn't get cheated out of anything. But here's the deal. With everything that's going on in our culture right now, I mean, it, it just, it feels like something is systemically broken uh, in our society. And it revolves around this idea of race. And so we just thought, how in the world as a church could we not at least pause for a Sunday and just have this conversation together? Because guys, I'm, here's how I'm convinced. I'm convinced that, and you may not agree with me, but I'm going to ask you to process with me today. The answer for what's going on in our culture is not political. We've had good presidents, we've had bad presidents, but we still have the problem. We've passed all sorts of laws on this topic, and we're still screwed up on this topic. And I'm going to suggest to you that ultimately, the answer to this is spiritual, and we will not get to the right place on this topic till our hearts change. Okay? So, so here's, here's what we're going to do in just a minute. We're going to have a real honest, real frank, real raw conversation. And I'm just going to tell you that we're probably not going to be politically correct. Because politically correct isn't going to help us right now. What's going to help us right now is being honest with one another and pushing back on one another, but ultimately coming together with one another. And so we're just going to be real raw and frank and have a on, real conversation. And if that bothers you, then it's going to bother you a little bit today. Here's, here's the other thing I just want to say out loud. Because this thing's gotten so messed up and warped and, and, and it's turned into this side and that side and, and that has nothing to do with anything. But here's what I want to say out loud as an affirmation today. If you've given your life to public service, if you're a teacher, if you're a firefighter, if you're a policeman, if you're uh, part of the military, then you have our respect. You just do. And, and I it, you just want to say out loud, I, I come to a place of just of faith that says the vast, vast, vast majority of those people are doing this in an honorable and a respectful way, and, and I choose to trust and believe that. I will also say on the other side of it, if you choose to abuse that position of authority, then you deserve to be dealt with. Okay? So that's the other side of this, right? So... That's not the discussion. That's not, you know, it's not blue lives matter, black lives matter. The discussion today is to say, how are we, how did we get so off track and how are we so messed up on this topic? And of all places, the place that ought to have this conversation right is the church, right? I'm just going to suggest to you, the world should be coming to us right now to find out how to live this. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure we've completely landed it. So we're going we're gonna to nudge ourselves in the right direction. So here's what we wanted to do. We wanted to have a little bit of a discussion, just some raw conversation about this. And I asked some friends, some people who attend here at Cornerstone, uh, to help us navigate uh, some of these questions. So I'm just going to ask you to help me welcome to the uh, stage Zorn and Brian and LaShawn. Give me a hug. 
Okay, so you guys wanted me to be really, really sure uh, to tell everybody that you are not the official spokesman for the black community. That uh, is correct. You are simply uh, black Americans, Christians, who attend our church, who we ask to say, help us get this, because there's, there's part of this that, that, that just doesn't land for us. And so we said, help us understand this a little bit. Um, as we do that. And, and real quick, I want them to know a little bit about you. So just real quick, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, that type of thing. Uh, I'm Zora McGuire. I'm the music director here. Um, that's my boss. <laughs> uh, you better remember it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Reviews are coming, dude. <laughs> yeah, oh um, but I really, I moved here from Cincinnati. That's the hat, not Chicago. Uh, um, I moved here probably three years ago, traveling for some Christian artists, and then I just wanted to be in the local church and really wanted to impact the local church. So I've been here for three years now, and I really enjoy my time. So thank you guys yeah. for letting me do that. And just, just real quick, what, what this guy is too humble to say, this guy has been all over America, even parts of the world, playing for some of the hugest Christian artists. Uh, this guy is talented out of his eyeballs, and we're just lucky to have you here, and we're thankful. LaShawn. Hi, I'm LaShawn, and I am a working mom of two beautiful daughters, one twelve, one seven. Um, married for 16 years. I am in the Chandler area by way of Albuquerque, born in Tennessee, um, and I'll leave it at that. What, what job do you do? I'm actually a sales manager. Okay. All right. So I am Brian Debnam, her accessory, obviously. <laughs> Last hour you were the better half, but I see she straightened you yeah. out, huh? So, <laughs> yeah, during that time frame, she quickly corrected it. that situation. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so also a working dad to two beautiful daughters. Um, I'm a business executive with a, a larger aerospace company in the community. Um, and we've been members here for three four years, and have loved being here every day that hmm. we've been here. Very cool. Okay, I, I'm just going to ask you some questions, because I'm just going to tell you that just even the last week of being able to interact and, and talk with you has helped me understand things that I, you know, I, I thought I understood and I didn't understand, and so I'm just going to ask you to be honest and raw and straight up and tell us a little bit like it is, and then... We're going to process that a little bit. So, but, but before okay. you ask the first question, okay. I, I just want to frame the discussion. Um, we're not here to take a side, politicize anything. We're here to speak from the heart, share personal experiences, um, so that we can all hopefully move in a better direction as a community, as a nation, and let the change begin to start here. Yeah. Right. I, I think one of the powerful things you said to me was, hey, I don't, I don't want to come off as a victim. I just, I just want to be able to relate clearly my experience and what it means to be a black person in our community. Okay, all right. So, as a black American, when you watch on the news what happened in Minnesota. And, and we're, we're just going to say out loud, 
the guy in Minnesota probably is not father of the year. He's not boyfriend of the year. But from everything we can tell, all he was doing was reaching uh, for his wallet, and he ends up with four bullets. When even more recently, we see what just happened in Florida. And here's a guy who is a caretaker for an autistic child who's run away. He's out trying to recover this child. The police are called. He's laying on the ground, hands in the air, and he gets shot. And when you see moments like this that just seem to be so unbelievably unfair, what goes through your heart and mind as black Americans? Um, for me, I become even more concerned for my husband, for my dad, my uncles, my nephews, because I don't know what I can say. to make them safer in a scenario with the police. Um, for me, it's, uh, you know, after Minnesota, my mom called me immediately. Um, and I, and I, I guess I come from quickly the, not from the, the racial side of it, because that is something, but I just come from, I'm looking at it this way, like, because of what's happening, because of the multiple times and because of a tense situation, me, who I'm ready to go home, work at a church, I'm ready to go home. And an officer that plays it exactly by the book, he has all the intentions in the world to give me my ticket for speeding or whatever I did, plays it by the book. Because it's so tense, I have to put my license of registration on that dashboard and I have to keep my hands on that wheel so that a mistake is not made at all. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I just... Because of the heightened intensity of where we're at, we are affected by you know, I, I thought it was great. So when you and I were talking, and you said, look, I've got absolute respect for police officers. I, I, I'm thankful for them. But I also, as a black man, have to live with the reality that says, if I get pulled over, there's an immediate, probably, because of what's happening in our world, tension there that that is unavoidable. And I now live with a, a little bit of an element of fear that I haven't had up until now. And I, and I even would say, like, maybe everybody lives with that. But for me, in situations like Minnesota, in situations like uh, what just happened in Florida, I, I just, I can't take that chance for the sake of my mother. I can't, I just need to, and I could be totally wrong. I'd be speeding. I could have, whatever, whatever I did. I got to put my license registration on a dashboard for the sake of him and for the sake of me so that nothing ever happens between the two of us, and we are both in the clear. And you both go home. Yeah. Let's flip it. Let's go the other way. As a black Americans, when the story is the opposite, when the story is Dallas, uh, when the story is Baton Rouge, and now a black has gone out and decided to shoot innocent police officers, what does that do to your heart? What do you think to yourself when you're watching that newscast go on? It makes me angry. It makes me very, very angry because it perpetuates that narrative that we are divided. It's us against them, and that is not true. It's angry because they are not an accurate representation of the black community. The majority of the black community respect, appreciate, is extremely grateful 
for what law enforcement do for all of us on a daily basis. Because without law enforcement, I mean, it would be mass chaos. So we are appreciative. We applaud you. We thank you for what you do. Really. You guys, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but LaShawn, one thing that was interesting, you said, when I start to hear that newscast, I start praying and saying, God, please don't let it be a black man. Correct. Because you just know how divisive this is going to be and how much it's going to push us back in the conversation. And then one of the things I thought that you uh, said was, it, it, it's almost like it takes the discussion and it's done now. There, there's just nothing left to talk about. So, so for, you know, 40% of unarmed black men are shot by police. And we hold up Black Lives Matter, and that is correct, right? But the moment that they retaliate in a way like that, for me, it's hard for me to put two legs to that anymore. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me, I, I just, let's have a conversation, but you, you know what I mean? And I, yeah. Sorry, Liam. No, and I, I think we get it. I think we get the frustration that says because a few have been so horrifically inappropriate and wrong and criminal, it, it takes any progress backwards on the whole thing. And that is frustrating. And it does cause us to go crumb in that moment, right? All right. Help us because I'm going to tell you that as a white American... I don't, I understand a little bit the frustration of the black community, but I don't get the level. I mean, it, to me, as I stand on the outside, it just seems like the level is higher than, than what's, help me understand how that frustration level has gotten that high. And I think one of the most powerful thing, go ahead real quick and then, yeah. Um, because it's not just one incident. I think because of social media, there's an increased awareness and it happens fast. But the things that you're hearing and becoming aware to now has been going on for a very long time. And the conversations have been taking place, but they weren't in the media. And so by the time you hear it, you know, it, it's been a part of the, the conversation, whether it's in the beauty shop or the beauty salons or at other churches or within other organizations. So it's a topic that has been going on for a very long time. Brian, one thing you said that was so helpful to me when we were talking about this was you relayed to me a couple incidences. You relayed to me getting into an elevator. You relayed to me going to go buy a car and, and what that was like to navigate. Give us that story real quick. Sure. Um, stepping into an elevator. Um, I enter. A white female is already there. Purse on one side, the side that I enter. Without hesitation, the purse moves to the other side. Now, in that instant, do I know for sure that it has something to do with me as being a black male? I don't. But the reality is, is that it's something that I think about. It, it's a subtlety that has an impact on how I process information. Hmm, there's that question. Trying to buy a vehicle... Recently had a car go down. We needed to buy a vehicle. Go to a car lot, spend 30 to 40 minutes on a car lot with my family, getting in and out of cars, being seen by staff, but not one person ever came over to greet us. 30 to 45 minutes. 
just to be sure, we left there and went to the same type of dealer across town. Same exact thing happens. It was a challenge for us. So again, do we know that we didn't get served, you know, served because of how we looked? We don't. But again, when we walk away from those situations, there's that question. I wonder if. And that question alone is that creates a challenge. So I think I think that's that's important for me to hear as a white American, because just understand, I don't have that box. In other words, I don't, if I get on the elevator and the woman moves her purse to the other side, I go, yeah, if, if I go on a car lot and they don't serve me, I go, what a horrible dealership, right? I mean, they're, they're incompetent. But for me to understand that as a black American, you do have that box and that box is legit because you, there have been moments of prejudice. There, there have been moments. And so when that same incident happens in your life, you have to ask the question, Hey, did that happen because of my race, because of my color or didn't it? And sometimes you put it in, nah, it was probably just coincidence. And then sometimes whether right or wrong, it goes in the box says, I, I think that was racist at the, at the same time for us, we, um, for me, for me, I have to rise above that. Like, I, and let's just put it on Front Street right now. I am an African American music director of an eight thousand person church. Does that make sense? So I, I'm not about to let that is real because believe me, it is real. But I'm not about to let that stop me. From sitting next to Lynn Winters and him, does that make sense? So, I right. just two sides. Yeah, and I and I think this is the tension of it, right? This is because what we have to do is figure out the person I just encountered. Where were they coming from? Were they coming from a racist point, or were they, you know, or not? You know, as we've talked, I've said to you guys, I'm going to say some stupid stuff because I just don't know how not to say some stupid stuff. And you guys have been graceful to me to say. I think my pastor loves me, and I, I, you know, I don't think... And so you, you, gotta, you always have to figure this out. I think the thing I want our white community to understand is, is that that box is there, that box is real, and that as things go in the box, eventually it fills up. Eventually that box can't hold anymore, and it does get to a place of frustration where you go, I, I've just had enough. And so sometimes I think we look and say, why are you, why are you so angry? Why are you reacting so much? And the answer is, it's not one thing. It's a hundred things. It's a thousand things that have happened over the course of life, okay, that get, that get us there. And just to clarify, because the box exists and because the box does fill up, it does not mean that we view an entire community a certain way. It's based on those experiences with those individuals involved. So don't please don't walk away thinking that we will paint this whole community, this whole congregation with a broad brush because that is not true. It's it's that box, those experiences. And I think I think if anything it it just more or less reinforces that we still have a problem that we have to deal with. That's, that's all. It, each individual situation is just a reminder that we're still here, hmm. still having to deal with some of these issues. Something else that 
has been surprising for me that I've been learning is that there is there's a sense of community, of belonging and identification within the black community that is different uh, than it is within the white community. Um, when I see a white person get whatever in, a, in an altercation with the police, I don't go, oh, I'll bet you that happened because he was white. I go, that probably happened because he was stupid. That's, that's how I process that. In, in the black community, there's, there's a higher level of identification, and when, when black people succeed, there's a sense of community success, and when black people fail, there's a sense of community failure. Help me understand that just a little bit. Help me get how that happens. Well, but within the black community as well, when a knucklehead does something stupid, we call that out too. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so it's not like you know we embrace bad behavior. No. You know we don't we don't connect with idiots because they exist in every demographic. Yeah, those those are part of the conversations in the barbershop and in the hair salon. It, it's happening. Yeah, um, but yes, there is a sense of community um, even within this congregation within the Chandler community, um, African-American people make up a much smaller percentage than the white community. Um, as a result, uh, for example, I'm an engineer by undergrad degree. All throughout college, there was probably three other, other black people in my engineering program. There were probably a handful of women. So it was a you know, big group of, you know, white males in the community, in the, in the engineer community. But when there aren't many of you, you notice you. That makes sense? You just take note easier. And that's, that kind of creates that sense of community um, that Pastor Lynn is referring to. Zorn, anything? Um... And, you know, it's a known fact on staff. There's not many of us here. But uh, I, I guess it's really just the same thing. I know the, the African-Americans individuals that are on staff. And, I and yeah, I don't, I don't really – that's a hard question to answer for Well, me. It's, it's – you know, people talk about the nod. <laughs> See? 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 I, I, I just did it. So and don't, instinctively, don't, all us white people are he, confused he right now. Back. We don't, we don't you know, know the nod. nod. You know, what's the nod? Right, the white people are like, what's the nod? And, 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 and then I went like this, and without hesitation, look. <laughs> With, without hesitation. So the nod. So now you know the nod. So, so when, you're in, when you're in the grocery store, you see a couple of black people approaching, look for the nod. Now, if, if, if I nod, wait, wait. If I nod, does it count? Now, Brian, though, would, hello. Yeah. <laughs> would you would you agree though that the nod is almost uh, a signal of rising above what's happening? Does that make sense? So you see, you see a, you see I, because to me, sometimes when I nod at somebody, I see you're rising above what's happening. I see you in maybe and maybe it's not in a grocery store all the time, but in a successful situation, you know what I'm saying? What's up, brother? Oh, okay. 
you up there? Oh, okay, right on. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a form of acknowledgement. I see you. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. a form because this, this, is, this is new for me, okay? And I'm going to practice the nod. But um, here's the closest I think as a, white, as a white Christian that I can get to that sense of communal effect. And that, that is me being a Christian. Because I'm just going to tell you that, you know, when I see the televangelist and he fails, I have this sense that my community has now failed. And, and all of us are going to get painted the same way. All of us are going to be put in the same box. And then the other side of it is, I see another pastor and that church is, and I, I have this sense of, man, the kingdom's going. And there is this sense as a Christian of a communal uh, identity. And I, I think maybe for some of us, as close as we can get to understanding. That. All right, so last question, real quick. We were in my office. I thought we had a wonderful, honest moment. And uh, as we were talking you talked a little bit about this idea of white privilege. And I let you kind of talk and go through it. And, and when you got done, I looked back at you and I said, okay, so I'm just going to be honest as a brother in Christ and tell you that when you say white privilege, that offends me. That bothers me because I started from poor roots. I mean, I started with nothing. I have worked for everything I've ever done. And so when you say that, then all this, you know, I, that, that's offensive in my direction. And then you said, well, no, 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 Lynn. I'm not talking about you were born with a silver spoon. I'm not talking about this idea that you've, you know, had some unbelievable privilege. It's just you haven't had to carry what we've had to carry. Help us understand a little bit of that. So it's really about the conscious thought processes that a person of color or for myself as a black female that I have to think about that you may not have to think about. So it could be as easily as how I name my kids because I'm thinking about when they put their name on a piece of paper and that application goes in, will they get a call or not? Because if it sounds too ethnic, they may not get the call. If it's non-gender specific, they may get the call. It's him thinking, okay, I need to put everything on the dashboard and just leave it there, keep my hands on the steering wheel. Yes, everyone is wanting to be respectful, but the fact that he is having to consciously think about that every single day. Or if I walk into the room and I want to have a conversation, and maybe I'm a little bit more assertive, is someone going to view me as assertive or are they going to view me as aggressive? So there's just the conscious thought processes that we have to think about that other people don't have to think about. Here, here's something you said that helped, helped me land this just a little bit. You said, Lynn, walk into a room filled with white people and say, how many of you would willingly become black to exchange your life and be a black person? And the average white person is probably going to pause at the very least. Walk into a room full of black people and say, how many would you like to be white? And you'd have hands go up. Because we intuitively know that there's something that you carry, there's hurdles that you have to live with in your life if you're a black American versus it's just how our culture is right now. It's the reality. Not trying to begin with it. It's just the reality of what you have to navigate. And it could easily be the ease in which you may be given the benefit of the doubt 
versus some of us having to carry the burden of suspicion and the fact that we have to constantly prove that we're okay, that we're safe, that we're smart, that we're all the things that anyone else in this room could do. Hey, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you for being honest. I want to thank you for being uh, raw with us and sharing with us. And here's the thing that I don't want to have happen. It's not, ju- it's not enough to talk about it. All talking about it can do is reveal it. But somewhere you've got to say, I'm going I'm to be part of the solution to it. I'm going to do something about it. And I think it's possible for us to come into a conversation like this, be a little bit cynical and go, okay, so I heard that. I think I understand a little more, but nothing's going to change. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that that's the right answer, especially not for us who are the church, because I think you and I are the ones who have the greatest opportunity to bring change to this conversation. Here's why. The early church, the early church faced exactly this same issue and they got through it which ought to bring hope for you and me to say, if they could do it, then the church of today ought to be able to be at the front of this conversation, and we should be the ones setting the tone for culture and for society, and we ought to be able to be the light in the midst of the darkness when it comes to this topic. Grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Acts, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And if you're not real familiar, go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Acts. Chapter 10. Let let me set this moment up for you real quick. When the church happens, uh, it's a surprise. It it, it takes everybody and turns their worlds upside down. And one of the big topics in the early church was prejudice. Here's why. They weren't dealing with just one or two groups that didn't like each other. They were dealing with at least five groups who had absolute animosity one toward the other. You had slaves who were now suddenly in the church. And they're asking the question that says, hey, wait a minute. How come if my owner is a Christian, why hasn't my owner released me yet? Why is he still owning me as a slave? You had slave owners in the church who were saying, I don't get it. Since I've become a Christian, I've become so much more kind. I've been so much more gracious to my slaves. And it's almost as if they don't appreciate it and they're becoming even more uppity about it. You had in the church Jews who were absolutely convinced that they were the better race than everybody else. You had within the church Gentiles who were saying to their Jewish brothers, hey, wait a minute, you've actually been ostracized by your elitist Jewish brothers, and now you're in the church and you're treating us in the same elitist way? How can you do that to us? And then on top of all that, you had women in the church. And nobody knew what to do with the women. Okay? So that part we're still working on. But I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But you realize, especially in this culture, uh, women were possession. Women had not even been allowed in the services, and now there's women sitting in church with the men. This is, this is just chaos, and, and, and it is filled with, this is how I was raised, and we've never done this before, and I don't think I like that group. And the church is in chaos over this very topic. And then God has a conversation with an apostle by the name of Peter. 
And he says to Peter, Peter, I'm going to send you to a Gentile home. Because there's a guy there that needs to hear the gospel. And Peter says, I don't think I want to go. Because I don't like those guys. And Peter finally succumbs and says, okay, I'll go. And God sends him to the house of a guy by the name of Cornelius. Now, here's what you need to know. Cornelius isn't just a Gentile to Peter. He's a Roman. So he hates his ethnicity. And on top of being a Roman, he is also in the Roman military. He's a centurion. He's an officer within the Roman. And, and Peter has every reason to hate this guy and be prejudiced. And here is God sending him to the house of Cornelius. And this is, this is the moment. Here we go. It's Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 27. While talking with him, so he's talking to Cornelius on the outside of the house. And Cornelius says, well, come on in, you know. Uh, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So here's the deal. Peter's going, okay, look, I'm only going to go there because I'm going to be obedient. Maybe I can go into this guy's house, hold my breath, and get out before I breathe any Gentile air. And the problem is he gets in the room to find out there's tons of people there that are all curious about this gospel thing. So now he's stuck. And while talking with him, Peter went inside. He found a large gathering of people. Verse 28, he said to them, now, you know, listen to what Peter said. This will tell you how whacked the early church was, how far off base we were on this topic. He says to them, you are full aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate or to visit a Gentile. So I just want to make it clear. I shouldn't even be in the room hanging out with you. See, Jews don't hang out with Gentile. White people don't hang out with black people. We don't do this. And I want that to be the first thing I say as I come into a room with you. It is against the law for a Jew to associate with a visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Well, thanks a lot, Peter. So what you're telling me is you don't necessarily believe this, but God's twisting your arm to be nice to me. Thanks a lot. But something amazing happens in that home. Peter begins to tell them the story of Jesus. He delivers the gospel. And this room of Gentiles accepts it. And the life change, the transformation of their lives is so remarkable that Peter can't deny it. And suddenly the scales fall from his eyes and suddenly he realizes, hey, there's something bigger going on here than my prejudice. And these people are my brothers and my sisters in Christ, no matter where they come from. No matter what their background or culture is. And this is bigger than what I disagree with them on. It's interesting because Peter then goes back to Jerusalem. And the Jews in Jerusalem are livid with Peter for having even gone into a Gentile's home. They're, they're, they're ready to basically throw Peter out of the church. And Peter, think about this. Peter, prejudiced Peter, becomes the greatest defender of the Gentiles. And explains to them, I've seen what Jesus does when he gets a hold of the heart of a Gentile. And I couldn't deny it. Let me ask you a question. How many in here have Jewish heritage? Okay. A smattering. Do you realize all of us that couldn't raise our hands wouldn't have been in the church? If the church hadn't figured this topic out. We wouldn't even have a chance at the gospel. Except the early church took this thing head on. And realized 
This is bigger than our cultural differences. This is bigger than the color of our skin. This, this has, there's something more important going on here than whether or not I agree with you. And interestingly enough, as that council met, they did not make theological decisions. They didn't, you know what they dealt with? Cultural decisions. And they made concessions back and forth so that they could do church together. I know we got some visitors in the room, and you're in here, and you may not have any reference or thought of Christianity or God, but I'm just going to say this again. Guys, this is a spiritual issue because it's a heart issue. And, and, and you cannot pass a law that's going to change our hearts. You cannot, you cannot bring an eloquent enough politician to change our hearts. Only the gospel can do that. And here's the radical idea that changes this whole conversation. It's what fueled the church. It's what helped us as a country even move forward. And it's simply this. That all of us, no matter what color you and I are, are created in the image of God. Let me just say that again. All of us are creating the image of God, which doesn't mean I agree with you. It doesn't mean I totally understand you. It just simply means this, that our creator has already established every one of our worth. And I cannot throw you away. I cannot discard you. I cannot discount you and be okay with him because you are created in the image of God. And guys, I'm just... This is the radical idea. This is the beginning point that changes every one of the rest of the conversations. And it's why we're going to have to get back to a spiritual idea because there is needed a spiritual solution to what we're struggling with in our country. So we get it, right? This is real. And uh, it's not something we can pretend is okay. We're going to have to address and do something about it. Here's my nudge. My nudge is this. Tweeting is not helpful. Facebook. Facebook isn't going to solve this. Okay? And guys, I, here, here's what you need to hear me say. Even if what you tweet is true, even if, even if you tweet it in a way that you think... Because... Guys, lining up on opposite sides and holding up our little placards is only dividing us. It isn't helping us. Okay? And, and here's my nudge. Things change for Peter when he engages. When he sits in a room and can't deny the connection that he has in a room with Christian brothers and sisters. The answer is to move toward the answer is to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go a little extra mile. I'm going to be a little uncomfortable. I'm going to, I'm going to move toward that person. And here, here, here's the, what does it mean to engage? And I'll give you a small thing. If you're an African American, if you're a black who walks into a Starbucks, if you're a Native American, if you're a Hispanic, you don't walk into that room not conscious of the fact that you're probably a minority, that you're probably different. Within white culture, you realize we don't talk to each other. Uh, we have this cone of silence uh, around us. And as long as you don't violate my cone, I won't violate your cone. You realize one of the most powerful things that you and I could do to someone 
of a different rate is just say, how's your day? You break the cone of silence. How's your day? And, and in that moment, you simply say, hey, I'm okay. You're okay. I'm good with you. I'm not fearful of you. I'm not thinking differently of you. And you go, well, that's just, I, I don't get it. Why do, why do I have to pander to that? Why do I have to do that? If you knew a man was thirsty, you'd give him a cup of water. And if you know that a man or a woman standing in your presence is wondering if they're okay, isn't the least Christian thing you possibly could do to simply say you're okay? And so I'm just going to ask you, can we consciously as the church move toward, can we model this for a world that's broken and hurting? And I'm, I'm just, guys, I believe with all of my heart that you and I should be doing this at such a great level that our culture should be looking to the church for how to treat one another. We should be modeling this. Here, here's what I want us to do. Brian, I'm going to ask, would you lead us in prayer today and just pray for our country, pray for our church, that we'd be really good at this. Okay. Would you guys stand with me while we pray? Can you slide this way? No, I'm not slide. Okay. Dear God, I thank you for the opportunity today to have this great discussion among friends. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to just open up, to share some raw thoughts and feelings that will be the catalyst for the change that we so desperately need. Lord, I thank you for placing upon all of us, every single individual in this room, the awesome responsibility to, to hold up your flag and walk out of this church, into this community, and across this nation to be the example of what we need going forward. Lord, we claim it in your name. We thank you for being with us always. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this, this morning to stay. Here's why. This doesn't happen till we change our hearts. And your worship team's put together a song that just talks about surrendering our hearts and saying, God, you, you do in my heart what you need to do with me so that I can be better at this. And I just think we all need to see that today.